We sit glued to the TV set all night And every night Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright We got nothing better to do Than watch TV and have a couple of... Welcome to TV Times 3, episode 161. On this episode, we have a few news items... And we'll be discussing uh, recent episodes of Revolution, Suburgatory, The Good Wife, Homeland, and The Walking Dead, and also have a TV on DVD pick. You can find the full show notes with time codes for each segment at tvtimes3.com slash 161. I'm Jason the TVaholic from tvaholic.com, and joining me this week are... Makisha Madden-Toby with MSN TV. Uh, Miles McNutt with The AV Club. All right. Thank you both for uh, joining me on the podcast again. Thanks for having for us ha- again. Yeah. Thank you very much for having us. <laughs> Thanks for being a hat. <laughs> hey, now, I'm not, I'm not a hat man here. Let's, <laughs> let's take a step back. All right. We'll have uh, links where you can find uh, both Makisha and Miles online at the aforementioned tvtimes3.com slash 161. And now we'll jump into uh, the news segment. Uh, there's a... Uh, a few things from the last uh, week or so. Uh, the CW has canceled uh, Emily Owens, MD. MTV has canceled the Inbetweeners. And it looks like AMC is picking up the previously canceled uh, The Killing for a third season. So, uh, Makisha, any thoughts on any of those? Um, the Emily Owens thing was just one of those sort of unfortunate happenings well depending on who you ask a lot of critics hated it and I didn't understand I guess some of the vitriol behind it I, I like I like the actors I like Amy Mamie Gummer I, I like her because she reminds me of her mom and the show didn't bother me as much it sort of was to me sort of Ally McBeal meets Grey's Anatomy and it didn't for some reason, it didn't bug me, and people were just like so against it that I thought, "Am I not hating it enough?" Or I don't know, but uh, it wasn't a surprise that it got canceled. I don't think no, to anyone. No, no, and I think you know it's one of those things where, like, when you say Alan McBeal meets Grey's Anatomy, like my brain explodes a little, and I think it's, <laughs> I think it's part of that because that just sounds particularly in the hands of the CW, where it felt like they didn't know what to do with that. They couldn't take it in a really, really interesting direction or really kind of playful direction. It ended up being very generic with a kind of little bits of quirk that almost were, were worse because they weren't committing to it because it wasn't becoming Ally McBeal. It was always had that kind of really generic element to it that I find held it back, that held back the actors who I like. I mean, yeah. there's a bunch of people on that show I enjoy. I don't feel as though when I watched it, I'm like, this is the worst thing I've seen. But the whole high school metaphor was just dead in the water. Like they, they never had anything interesting to do with it. Yeah. It felt limiting. It felt kind of structurally um, unsound. It, it didn't feel like a show that could work. And all the parts individually taken sort of like played along. I mean, I caught like 10 minutes of an episode, I think, last week that I'm just like, Do you know what? This is not the worst thing I've seen. It's not that show that's like, why is this still on the air? But right. when you looked at but when you looked at the numbers, when you looked at the fact that creatively it wasn't gelling to its full potential. You didn't really see, like, what could this do in the future to tie into the CW's brand more clearly? What could it kind of accomplish? Basically, I think you have a circumstance where maybe Gummer should have had a show somewhere else. Yeah. Or, I, don't yeah, think the, yeah I don't think the CW was going to be the place for her. It's too bad, but it's, it's, inter- it's interesting you said the CW brand because I'm beginning to wonder what that is now. I mean, I think that there was – it was more clearly defined, I would argue um, – four years, five years ago. And now I think because they're trying to rebrand themselves, they don't even really know what that brand is. So 
Um, you know, it could have been probably maybe part of the new CW, whatever that is. If, like yeah. you said, it were better written or they had a better um, vision of what the show was, could be. But, yeah, who? what is the brand? <laughs> yeah, no, and I do think that's a really interesting question that they have to kind of come to terms with. But you can see them with Arrow and Supernatural. It's like, hey, maybe we have a guy's night. A show, a shows that might appeal more to action fans, and then you look at what they're doing on Friday, which doesn't even count as a night because Nikita's just kind of being thrown out there. <laughs> Thursday, okay, they're doing the supernatural horror, but then it's like you go back to Monday, and it's you know those teen soap operas—they're no longer about teenagers that feel like they're part of a brand that doesn't exist anymore. And when you start throwing all of that together, it's like they need a show that just works for them and kind of fits through and arrow was that hit this season and i think when arrow hit it's like emily owens just became that much more irrelevant because here's this completely different kind of show that was so successful for them and beauty and the beast did okay numbers so it's like okay maybe that's uh no um (laughs) well give it time uh but i do think (laughs) you're creating an environment where you're right they have to choose and i think what you're seeing here is not so much saying emily owens md was an absolute failure it didn't work at all. It's whatever it was doing right wasn't the kind of kernel they wanted to take out of that and build into a piece of a larger puzzle. And you can see Pedowitz, uh, Mark Pedowitz, the president of CW, being very conscious of like, yeah. we need to build this out. We need to do something cohesive and at the very least consistent. And I think this is very much about rebuilding near the losing Gossip Girl, the bringing in Carrie Diaries, maybe hoping something happens there with similar ideas, like just a burst of life. And I think there wasn't any life in Emily Owens at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely true because it did feel like it felt very much like I've I've seen this, and not in and, a good way. And, yeah, and not in, yeah, not in a way like I want to see more of it. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it it definitely had had that. Uh, but did Mamie did, did Mamie Gummer bother you? Because that was the thing that was like so interesting about a lot of the the criticisms, behind, you know, about the show. No, I think the role sort of fit her. And what she kind of does does well, good, um, yeah. it, but but yet set inside the show that was just almost. I mean, the storylines were all paint by numbers, you know, stories that didn't really they didn't help you do much of anything. Like you know, at least Grey's Anatomy, it you get the well, maybe not as much anymore, but you used to uh, right. a lot more. Get the story was to help you show something about what was happening in the doctor's lives, you know, in the character's lives, there was a, there was a tie in there. There was something interesting about that, you know, in addition to, you know, the, just the regular the you know, week, stuff right? that was going on, but you know, the case of the week fed into helping them reflect on what was going on in their lives. And so it was an interesting, you know, there was something extra interesting besides there just being another medical case or an emergency room, you know, being, you know, case or something like that, and uh, this was this was just a bunch of trying to do just weird medical stories or, or type of things, or it didn't really do much. Well, it wasn't as willing to commit to being a full soap opera. Yeah, or like it wasn't willing to go into their lives to the extent that Grey's Anatomy did. To be fair, Grey's Anatomy started out a little bit rough. I think you know this was still growing. You kind of have to build into those character moments. But I think you're right that they weren't as willing to say the hospital is a place where these people work. Instead, it was the hospitals where the show is set, and that felt a bit more rigid than it did in some other shows, some other environments. Yeah, and then yeah. with the you know they're trying to. 
also expand, uh, you know, their what their market is sort of because while they did have, you know, they were the going for the the young female demographic, you'd have to say that that wasn't necessarily working for them. I mean, they had shows that were trying to go after that market, but not a lot of people actually watching those shows. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. ABC Family is bringing in that market way better than, than the yeah. CW is. Uh, so I think trying to, you know, ex- expand out if you don't have, like, if something's just, you know, sort of middling along there, not really, you know, it's not dying, but it's not showing any signs of any type of growth or anything that, you know, you're just like, well, it was sort of going after that market, but again, it's not, it's not working. So we need to. So are we still talking about Emily Owens where we moved on to the in-betweeners? That's that's sort of the, the the in-betweeners for the in-betweeners for me is I watched the first episode and I went, I've seen this episode before because it was the exact same thing happened in the original. And that so bothers me when, Granted, I I wish sometimes that I could have just watched the show having never seen the original because then maybe it would have worked for me. But it just felt like such a ripoff of the original version that it wasn't just taking – I wish they would – I don't mind the idea, but then you do something that's relevant to here, not just uh, take the exact same storylines and drop new actors into it. Makisha, have you seen the British original? I, I have, and I like the original better, but I was going to say that it was the same problem with Skins, wouldn't you say, that in terms of MTV, that, that sort of, if you're going to take a show, you can't do what NBC sort of stumbled upon with The Office and make it exactly the same and then find your way. You kind of have to immediately go right into it being something different. Yeah. Um, but I don't when think it, the, uh, MTV viewer, I, I would argue, has has seen the, the original, and that probably... From a critical perspective, that's our problem with it. I just think that it was just not a great idea to for MTV to do that, to tackle that. Um, well, and I think, too, it's one of those challenges, I think, looking at it. If you look at it compared to something like Awkward, which is connected so well with, with MTV's demographics and been so successful, The Inbetweeners is a dude show. Like, it's always sort of been a dude show. Like, it's very much positioned around these group of guys, and the female characters are kind of sketched thinly around the edges. And it seemed like they didn't even think about that. They're like, oh, we can appeal to male viewers, looking at something like Teen Wolf as an example. But they that didn't seem to work. It didn't connect with the demos. It didn't connect with social media. It made none of those sort of really, you know, valuable points of connection. And so it's sort of like... Okay, then what are you doing? Then why are you airing this? Like, I don't even think MT was like, oh, we don't like how this came together creatively. From what I heard, it's like they did a fine job. It just kind of worked. It was okay. But it was the (laughs) idea that it didn't do anything for them. Like going back to Emily Owens, like it didn't give them something to work with, something to build on, something that they could pull out. And I mean, I will say just on a creative level, it seems strange to me how they kept the will narration but seemed to focus so much more on Simon. It actually sort of drove me crazy um, because, it, like, you know, the way they set up the romantic arcs and everything was very much around Simon early on. And it's just like it made the Will kind of voiceover seem so much stranger. And maybe it was just something in translation sort of worked that way. But that was the one creative thing from, like, the episode and a half that I watched that was just sort of like they didn't recalibrate, that they didn't kind of shift that around. And Skins did have the same problem. I thought some of the things Skins did were interesting. I think some of the performances in Skins were good. Overall, they did not really get the translation in a way that was interesting. Maybe it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't interesting enough to pull it off. 
Right, but I think it goes to, it goes back to what you were saying too in terms of the brand. What is MTV yeah. doing? Like, what is happening with the network? They need to get with the CW and they need to have like an intervention because <laughs> it just it seems like there seems there's just a loss of direction from both networks in terms of what's next and what can we get if you if you have success with Awkward, no, by no means should you go and create another show just like Awkward. But at the same time, like you said, look at what made Awkward a hit. It, it fits with the demo. Teen Wolf, same thing. Your your viewership. They aren't expecting music videos. We get it. That joke's old. But but they are expecting a certain type of show. And they get that from those two shows. They even get that from Catfish. But you're not gonna you're not gonna get that with a remake of Inbetweeners or a remake of Skins. Just, or at least the way they went about creating it. I think no, you I mentioned the tra- you know translation. I think part of the problem is it's is it's not necessarily a translation. It's like it's still the same thing. There there isn't any slight tweaks or changes enough to say americanize it or make it you know slightly uh different it's the exact same uh you know the exact same thing i think uh another show that i think shameless sort of to a lesser extent felt did that same thing but they finally towards the end of that first season started to move away from just retelling stories that had already been told and and you know everything sort of became its own show. Not that they still don't necessarily draw from, you know, the original in, in subsequent seasons, but it, it, it changed, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I think I've seen the first couple episodes of the UK shameless and I would seen the U S shameless around the same time. And it's like, you know what? I can see the points about how some of it doesn't translate. Everything's a little bit more upper, upper class, upper sale, but it's like, it grew into itself. And I think one of the problems is that Showtime can let that happen. Showtime has patience. Showtime has the ability to say, we think this can move forward. It can focus on stars. It can pay for stars. And it's like with the in-betweeners and with Emily Owens, it's like they don't have the same luxury of being able to say, okay, we have this thing. We can write it out. We can move through it. And so you're right. MTV isn't in a position to wait given where their brand sits. And I mean, they just hired a new head of programming. They've completely kind of redone everything. And so it's interesting. I was actually – Lauren Youngridge was talking to my class, actually, um, in a strange circumstance. And she was talking about, like, where the MTV brand sits. And sort of, like, they want to take some credit for Awkward Success. But in truth, they didn't really do much to promote it initially. Yeah. Awkward, is kind of a, <laughs> Awkward is kind of a grassroots thing that came up through the fans, through social media. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. playing at, like, 11 or 11.30 at night in the first season. Yeah. And so, like, it, yeah. kind of, it played into this idea where they're like, oh, we're a grassroots network. But then it's like, you can't recreate that. You can't manufacture that, which puts them in the position of, okay, how do you get there? How do you create something that can inspire things? And that's such a different question than a traditional development model. And it's something they haven't adjusted to, that the CW hasn't adjusted to. And yet they've really much focused on social media as their marketing strategy. But you need something that works within that framework. And so I think it's a tough sort of balance to kind of work through when we start talking about these shows that do get canceled, that do kind of end. And I think it kind of does tie into what sort of happened with The Killing, which is like, where does where's the value lie? And I mean, AMC's case, they kind of changed their mind on what that value was. Yeah. So 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 what do you what do you think of what do you think of that coming back? Oh, I don't even. <laughs> I don't even. Uh, it's one of those things where I have no 
tremendous <laughs> ill will towards the killing. I really don't. I don't want to give that impression. Um, I stopped watching after the first season. I didn't even finish the first season. I think I saw part of the finale. I watched the finale of season two to see how they resolved it. It honestly seemed like it was still a visually evocative show that just didn't do anything for me emotionally. And so I looked at that. But from a business perspective, AMC cut ties and it felt like the right move and I defended it at the time and all this talk from Ozzy Yellow and company talking about TV line rescuing sorry, Netflix or Hulu or anyone else rescuing this show seemed so ludicrous to me and so to hear this sort of coming back in this way that AMC just kind of changed their minds, that value was sold to them, that agencies and production companies lobbied their way back into it. I'm like, do you want to come back this way? Like, do you, yeah. like, do, do you want to be that, like, oh, do you know what? I guess we can sort of – we can give you 10 episodes. We're going to, like, have Netflix <laughs> pay for some of it because why not? I mean, like, that just seems like such a low vote of confidence for a show's future when they haven't even nailed the stars down, when they haven't figured out really any sort of plan. It's just sort of like when you start to break that down, is like – wouldn't it have just been better off dead for both AMC and to a certain degree for Venus Sood, who now has to go back to the drawing board and basically, really in this case, try to come up with something new? And like before they were paying off, she was kind of like committed. I'm going to tell this story no matter what people said about that season one finale. And I respect that to a certain degree. But now it's like she's completely starting from scratch, working on this whole new story, a new sort of framework. And it's like, I don't know if it's possible for that to be taken as an actual fresh start, given what's happened, given the nature of its cancellation. And there didn't seem to be much of a demand. I didn't see a whole huge fan campaign. Nothing really sort of came up. So I just – I find it perplexing. Yeah. Not angering, not like – I'm not like, how dare they, but I find it perplexing. Yeah, all I can say is if they don't solve the murder in whatever this season that they're writing you know, <laughs> comes back, if, if this doesn't like – solve a case in that they they can't they can't be hoping for a fourth season like <laughs> no. to to come oh, back you... and solve a solve a case that would be that would be insane and to be fair i mean treating a show like a mini series makes sense it always made sense yeah. i think if you go back i mean to be fair i think if amc knew they could pull off what fx did and pretend american horror story was a mini series i think they would have yeah, done that like... I think they would have done that to play it to the Emmys. I think they would have said, we're doing this miniseries with this set of detectives. It's like prime suspect-esque going to the British model. Like, I think they would have done that to differentiate it and set it up. But the fact of the matter was they were still in the mode at that point of we want to make serialized drama series. They wanted this to be like Mad Men. They wanted to tie into that ongoing serialization. And the the show just wasn't built for it. The show's poorly built frankly but if they go on a miniseries model kind of like do fewer episodes really kind of nail that down differently i think the parts could work but again like i don't know if i could say oh you know i'm really excited about that third season of the killing like that seems like a very strange emotion to me i, I feel disconnected from that idea yeah i always i always thought that the the whole show just seemed like the way that it was being set up was you're gonna solve this case by the end of this season and they set little nuggets about some previous case that she had not been able to solve or something went wrong and she you know it ended up in the loony bin all these types of things they had said along the way it seemed like that was going to be like something was going to be found along the way that that was going to be the case in the next season like they were going to dive 
you know, into that after solving this case. And that seemed interesting to me, you know, a, a case a season at, in a 12 episode type of thing. What it ended up being was like a full regular TV season, you know, something like Murder One uh, tried to do with a, a, a case that took place over 22 episodes, in this case, 24 episodes. And that just seemed too long to be able to do that type of thing because you can do it for a short period of time. You can give sort of the red herrings, the, the type of stuff, but that starts to fall on. It starts to get really annoying. 16 episodes in, you know, I mean, it's, it's already annoying at episode 10 because you know, whatever you're going to find there is not it because you're waiting for uh, the actual thing to be found, you know, in the 12th episode. Uh, and so to just keep going with that was, was uh, completely annoying. So I, if it if it comes back with a new case, new actors around uh, a, a new investigation, I think it may be interesting. I don't know. I'll probably check it out. But yeah, they would they would they would have to get a whole new cast. I think as long as they solve the case <laughs> in that in that episode, because that was what was interesting about the first season was really it wasn't necessarily about solving the case at first it you 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 knew that was you felt that was coming by the end of the season but it was how this one murder affected these people that was what was interesting it, you know how it affected the detectives investigating it how it affected the family of the that lost the girl you know lost their their daughter you know how it inf- how it affected other people that became suspects you know that that whole st- that was that was what was, was interesting with this promise that felt like you were going to get an answer of who actually killed the, you know, the girl at the end of, of the season. And that to me sound sounded interesting. And if they could do that in a new season, I would, I would find it, I, you know, I would find it interesting again with a new, you know, a new set of, uh, and of actually actors. make good on, on what they promised. Cause yeah. that's, I, that's what people were mad. Well, that's why people were, you know, upset. They were like, you said you were going to let us who did it. And then they were like, did we say that? Because we need a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All so. right. I think uh, I think we can kill off the news here and uh, move over to uh, uh, prime time. And the first show on the list is uh, season one, episode 10 of Revolution, Nobody's Fault But Mine, which is uh, the mid-season finale or the fall finale or the winter finale or whatever you want to call it <laughs> since no network seems to be able to agree on what to call a, a series that's coming to the end at this time of year uh what i will say is i mean i saw a lot of like winter finale and that's fair particularly in revolution's case because revolution yeah, because isn't coming it, yeah, back yeah it doesn't come back to march <laughs> like so i feel as though they are okay there and that like it's ending in the winter it's going to come back in the spring the other shows are coming back in winter so i have questions frankly yeah. <laughs> about the semantics of this deal but I had fewer questions with the revolution finale, which was just sort of there. I will, I will readily admit, I, I guess I should disclose the fact. I didn't watch any of the episodes between the pilot and the finale. <laughs> I, just, I just really wasn't all that interested in it. Uh, the show didn't, nothing really catch my attention. I saw a few minutes of episode two, looked fine. And like, I didn't feel lost. Like, I really didn't feel like that much had changed between episode one and episode 10. Well, they were still looking for her brother by, you know. Yeah, they were still looking for a brother, and it's like, well, of course Elizabeth Mitchell's still alive. They wouldn't cast her if she wasn't. And it's just like when I went through all that, it's like, okay, yeah, they're in this situation. And like, it really played almost like a live-action video game to me. 
Like, there was something about it where it's just like, okay, you know, they're going to go in, they're going to fire some guns, no one's actually going to get hurt who we care about, they're going to walk their way out, and there's going to be this, you know, quasi-resolution, but not really a resolution, something's going to happen to sort of move it along. I mean, they even kind of, you know, followed on, like, a helicopter lifting up, it's like, oh, what's going to happen next? It's like, it's not going to be something that destroys the entire premise of the show, <laughs> it's going to be something that extends it. And so, to me, it was so much within that generic, basic kind of zone of this is what a mid-season finale does it's similar to what prison break did back in the day and actually probably maybe is the best kind of point of comparison a show that kind of launches big and it feels somewhat different in tone that has these sort of elements to it that's building towards this one idea of in this case rescuing the brother kind of moving forward and then it's like okay there's something that gets in the way of that or they solve one thing they move on to another and i think the more we see these kind of shows they're in this case they're afraid of leaving it away from the voice and they're unwilling to leave it on its own so they're just going to hold it till march and see what happens but it's just a very simple move i doubt anyone was surprised by anything that took place um there's a lot of homoerotic tension between the two male leads um that's all i got <laughs> <laughs> well see so so far, the series has been marginally interesting to me. Like, there's there's like almost something there, and I keep watching, hoping that it'll finally get there. Uh, but this episode has it, it allowed things happened in this episode that make me go, what? That take me out of even you know the the ability to try and enjoy it just on sort of the adventure of the week type of thing. Uh, you know, with a little bit of action or or what have you is that when you have like this is your this is your sort of a secret compound or whatever but you know this is your thing but yet you have the guards are guarding on the inside of the gate so it allows a guy to be able to set a bomb outside the gate <laughs> that makes no sense to me uh, the idea that they have no clue that there's a, a water intake entry into no. the plant that they could just waltz in is completely ridiculous the idea that by the time all those people were running to escape and jumped out through where he had exploded the gate, and that in that amount of time, they were able to carry the thing that, that makes electricity work all the way out to the helicopter and start the helicopter and make it fly, <laughs> that was completely ridiculous because it, you know, the thing was buried down in, you know, yeah. layers down into the thing. The idea that by the time they had ran just out to the front, that this helicopter was that had that hadn't flown in fifteen years, <laughs> you know, that they obviously would you know had done whatever they could except that you know, the electrics didn't work, you know. So you know maybe they they have it set to in in good working order except for the, being able to power it. But the, all those types of things they just make me go what, <laughs> and they well, just and completely really, pull me out of yeah. any. Uh, instead of going, oh my God, the gun is spinning up, they're in danger, what's going to happen next? I was like, how is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) And that, I shouldn't be thinking that. You know, I shouldn't be thinking about those things. They want you to watch it like you're playing a video game, where it's like, it's just whatever it spits out, you kind of have to accept as a limitation of programming. It's like, oh, they don't have enough resources to build more troops or they need to move things quickly it's all kind of cutscene logic you cut from one place to another that kind of temporality is completely shifted and i think the show 
is very much doing that on purpose. It's really, I don't think it cares. Like, I really do think <laughs> it wants to be a sort of schlocky, you know, B-movie kind of genre show. And it's like, that's, I think, on some level, I on some level, I applaud that. I think we need shows that are willing to be a little bit more silly. But then other scenes in the show tend to take itself a bit too seriously. And so yeah, that's the it's thing, kind you of, can't do both. <laughs> no, and I do think it's trying. And I do think, again, here's a show that, very suddenly and sort of unexpectedly, I don't think anyone thought it would be this level of a hit. And to be fair, it's kind of cooled down. It will continue to cool down as the year goes on. Similar to what Jericho did. I think it's maybe a more most obvious comparison point. But not, I can bring up like five obvious comparison points. But I think that show works in part and revolution because it's still kind of finding itself something kind of scrappy about it it's got a bunch of different parts so i think like that voice audience which is so broad enough of them have caught on to something some part of it has connected with them whether it's the mystery whether it's the young female protagonist whether it's the love story <laughs> whether People it's hated her. but the thing okay we hate her <laughs> And, this, we the we is more collective than you think. Okay, that's, to be fair, that's probably true. But I think about the voice. Like, are there teen girls watching this show? I don't. I, I don't. I don't know the answer to that question. But I, I do think know. it's one of those questions where, like, that voice lead-in is so different. I feel than the Twitter hive mind. And to be fair, I love the Twitter hive mind. It's my favorite thing in the world. But the point has to sort of stand that a lot of that voice audiences has no connection to that. They probably don't even read critics reviews. They had no sense of what this was. And so for them, it was kind of like this blank slate of, okay, here's something I can latch on to. I really want to see how this ends up. I really want to follow this thread. And I'm interested to see, like we're seeing that audience sort of leech away as time goes on. Like what is that core audience going to be? And therefore what is the core show that's going to move forward? And I think that's a question they're going to have to answer in the back half. It's going to take some finding. But I think it should be interesting to see how that managed and how they work through that. So creatively, I think it's an interesting question. I think it's an interesting question that you guys actually talk about because I can't take that show. It's just too stupid to me. It's too stupid. And I was wondering, seriously, who was watching it? And apparently it's you guys and the teenage girls who watch The Voice. So now I know that. <laughs> no, too, too clear. no judgment. No judgment. Like, seriously, like I like, said, like I, I said, I have, I've watched two episodes of it. I skipped everything else, and I will also say I was sort of absentmindedly watching with the commercials, which was my sort of good goodwill gesture to NBC. Where it's like, <laughs> get you through the cold winter. I will watch it with commercials as you intended, and follow through on that. But no, I should be fair. Like I certainly, if I felt like I was committed to the show or engaged with it, I would have all the continuity problems and all the logic problems, and it completely falls apart. And I don't really care. But at the same time, I'm interested. This is kind of a more of an academic kind of scholarly question, but like what this show is and where it fits, I think is a really fascinating case study for development in this difficult time slot on the one hand because of the expectations placed on it because you don't really you don't really know what your audience is the same way you do elsewhere. But at the same time, it has this really plumb position with this huge lead in. So I'm interested in following without caring. Maybe that's the best way to put it, following <laughs> without caring. I watch a lot of shows that way. Okay, well, we'll move on to uh, Suburgatory, uh, Season 2, Episode 6, uh, Friendship Fish, which I have to say was one of the weirder episodes of the show, but not necessarily in a good way. Uh, thoughts on it, Miles? It was terrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> it just, I'm just going to say that. I mean, I think it was just bad. Um, I think it's one of those circumstances where I saw a lot of griping online about the product placement. And to be fair, having Tessa obsessed with a Microsoft Surface tablet was just a terrible decision. I don't know how it got through the writing process. I don't know how it got executed the way it did. Um, the voiceover just completely fell apart when it was non-ironic. She was serious. She seriously loved this tablet. It wasn't a little tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> it wasn't anything. Like, she she was physically infatuated with it, and it's just sort of like there was never that moment where you're like, oh, they're aware of what's happening or she's aware of what's happening. There was never that like glass breaking that needed to take place for that to be sustainable, and so I completely agree with everyone who saw those Surface commercials and just knew right off the bat that it was just a terrible idea, that it was poorly integrated. The product integration was just really badly done in a negative way that did no service to Microsoft and very little service to the show, negative service to the show. But like the rest of it wasn't good either. Like I don't want us to just say it was just the product placement. The tonal issues in the entire George storyline completely threw off the kind of suburban urban dynamic which became so cartoonish and these characters who have been humanized from their being their initial suburban stereotypes went back to being these stereotypes just different ones um the city people were ridiculous the suburbs people became ridiculous the idea of transformation moved too quickly the sudden architectural challenge was built up in a way that just didn't i didn't buy it the friendship stuff i mean like i love a good lionel richie um hello parody so i was fine with that but i thought everything else just felt like a complete miss a complete miss and after the thanksgiving episode that was a disappointment i think it let me down in that respect and i kind of gave you that sense of the show doesn't know quite what it's doing yet um it can really hit really hard and be really great and other times i think it just completely falls apart and that's still a younger show but i do think i'd expected it to get past that in its second season so there was definitely some disappointment in that respect well i think you're you're right most of the most of the 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 story elements were definitely way too cartoonish even for this show like and so if you're like going too cartoonish for this show you've definitely uh, gone really far uh i didn't really have a huge problem with the product placement you know, it, it may have been an odd storyline to have. Uh, I, I wonder how much it would have worked if it would have been a completely nondescript tablet that she was holding, and you know that uh, that had no markings whatsoever or showed you really what uh, she was using. On the other hand, they never say Microsoft Surface. I love my Microsoft Surface or anything no. like that. They just use it as a tablet and they happen to show the screen a couple of times. And to me, for product integration, I would rather it be that way where it's it's part of it's part of something instead of they have to go through and like give these three they gotta hit these three product high points and make sure they show the you know and mention what type of thing it is exactly. That type of thing. I it because to me it feels more real when there are real products in a show. It it always, forever, it's always felt weird when they have to come up with something that's supposed to be like something you know, but they come up with, you know, it's got a different name, you know, to the, <laughs> to the cereal or the Coke that they're drinking or something weird. And so I always, when they have real products, always seems uh, better to me. But when they're used, just used. They're not necessarily you just know you happen to notice that they're they're drinking such and such, not because 
they made sure that the label was in his hand just perfectly and the and and uh and the you know so that you could read what what they're what they're drinking during the scene uh you know not you know that that's the type of stuff that that uh you know or they 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 have to mention it exactly by name or a lot of the times when they do the car integration they have to you know mention like three great things about the car like the you know <laughs> hey, check out this backup camera. It really helps me do blah 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 or whatever. And that that's the type of stuff where it actually feels like a commercial in the middle of it. This never really felt like she was giving an advertisement. Uh, there is a for section the in the episode where she breaks down its great hard drive and its amazing features. Like she does do that at a point, and that's where it kind of got matters. But I think we also need to draw a distinction. I am very serious about this subject, apparently. Um <laughs> And the, I think the difference and the challenge is the fact that with the tablet, it was so integrated into the story that, like, she kept voiceover. And the voiceover, I think, really sold this, like, I'm obsessed with my tablet. My tablet's taking over my life. I don't care about my friend anymore because I have my tablet. And, like, that's not the same as just, like, having something in a scene. That made it the purpose of the storyline. And when you start to do that, it starts to be like, well, why is it a tablet? Why isn't it, like, a game on the tablet? You can be obsessed with a game. A game is something I feel naturally kind of becomes part of that. But, like, using the tablet in the way they did and the way they talked about the tablet and the way she kind of built it up in this sense plays into a lot of the rhetoric of the marketing of tablets, of trying to sell you on the fact you need this as part of your life. So I think it would have worked better if she was, like, actually had, like, a Kindle or a Nook because really what she was was yeah. doing was reading that was a yeah, lot. <laughs> if it was, and if she was obsessed with a book, maybe it was a book, like a single book. Like there were, the logic of the storyline didn't mesh with Tessa's character or with the structure of the episode. The voiceover made it that much worse. They really did, I think, sell it in a very direct sense. And it's just like to me that had the exact exact opposite impact of what it was supposed to be. Maybe that was their subversive attempt was to make it as terrible as possible to overcome the fact that they were getting paid to do it. I don't know, but ultimately I feel as though that, that was – it was a miss, and it was a miss regardless of that. I really think that even without the product placement, that storyline still felt strange. Apparently this might have been airing out of order. It might have been supposed to air before Thanksgiving. I wasn't sure what exactly they were trying to do with that, but ultimately it was a miss. It felt misplaced. It felt off kilter. I don't – it was just to me like I remember I tweeted something about it, and I had someone ask me like, so which part of the episode inspired that tweet? And I'm like all of it. Just all of it. <laughs> the, the, the episode. <laughs> I am I am I am gesturing at all of you, Suburgatory. I am gesturing at all of you. Well, it was like the, the iPad episode of a family, uh, Modern Family, a couple of years ago, which Apple didn't pay for. Which Apple and didn't pay for, but then it it became known that there was some there's some board member on the ABC board that's an Apple president. Yeah, well, I mean, Apple and Disney have some kind of clear kind of character. And to be yeah. fair, I will also say in that case, so like I buy that Phil Dunphy would become annoyingly obsessed with an iPad. Like that perfectly fit his character to me. I see why they went there. I see why technology for him is this clear sense of things. So there I thought the character motivation works. So I'll accept that we live in a world where commercialism is king and where money is power. And I'm willing to accept that. But I felt like in that particular instance, it was motivated by something beyond that. And here I saw zero motivation outside of, well, Microsoft is willing to underwrite this episode. And if it's that visible within the storyline and the way it's structured and the way the dialogue works, that is a problem. Full stop. All right. So uh, <laughs> suburgatory fans out there, 
why don't you uh, write in and uh, let us know what you thought about uh, the uh, product placement in Suburgatory. I'd like to hear other people, other opinions on uh, on what was overall a, a pretty terrible episode of the show. <laughs> Uh, which I think, for the most part, actually, the next episode uh, is is uh, is better. Uh, oh, and I'm just saying, like, I have no doubt of that. To be fair, like, I didn't leave this episode thinking, "Oh man, Subretory is terrible," yeah. show. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's like it just showed they still have that capacity to miss. And I think that's where it's like at this point, maybe you don't want to see that. You want to see an episode, maybe it doesn't kind of doesn't work. But this one felt like a real. I think it felt like a, it felt like a mistake. And I'm hoping like something like something way in the beginning where they were still trying to feel their way out of of, you know, who these people were and and how these things worked. All right. And we'll move on to uh, the next show on the list. The Good Wife, season four, episode 10, uh, Battle of the Proxies. So uh, thoughts on uh, thoughts on The Good Wife. You guys, it's all you. Who wants to jump uh, in? Oh, I can jump in. No, I got I got my Sunday shows. That's not one of them. That's not one of them. <laughs> well, I'm, sort of, I'm always interested by that, though, because it's one of those shows that does have this kind of viewership kind of moving through. But, like, I don't know how easy it would be to jump into the show. Like, on some level, I think you could just watch an episode and enjoy it. It's a legal procedural. The, ca- the case moves as it does. This episode sets up the whole idea of this, the same kind of the same crime as being tried in two separate courtrooms, one local and one on a state level. And it's like figuring out like which case is going to move their way through. How is this kind of kind of get worked out? And, you know, I thought the case worked and those kind of things operated. And I felt a lot of the cases that worked this season, I continue to find the show really engaging. The yeah, performances are generally good. But I have trouble – like I I recently made my top 20 shows of the year, and I left The Good Wife off it because I couldn't in good conscience put a show on the list that I've been fast-forwarding through scenes of for the last six or seven (laughs) years. Like that seems seems wrong to me, and despite the fact that I would objectively place the show probably in the best 20 shows on television if you're asking me to do so, the whole – the whole Nick and Kalinda stuff this season has just been so – was, it was so bad what I ended up watching in the first few episodes that I just kind of made a decision of I'm just going to fast forward through it. Every time Nick is on screen, I'm just going to fast forward. And it's made going through the episodes a little bit faster. It's made them more <laughs> enjoyable. I've read some reviews after the fact where it's just like, oh, man, you know, I thought that was better than C+. And then I realized they watched the Nick scenes and I didn't. And I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense now. And like that shouldn't have happened. It was complete missteps. Speaking of missteps. I'm all but missteps. Um, it was just no. It was it was a mess. Um, they never knew what to do with it. They weren't focused on what it was. I think they liked the idea of doing another story with Kalinda because I think they care more about her than I do as a viewer. I liked the performance. Archie Punjabi is great. It has not always worked on the character level, and it's just they pushed too far. And so, like last night in the final scene of the episode, it was finally done. I watched enough of that to see like. They actually said, like, you know, are you done? Like, they were very, very definitive. The music was very dramatic. It was like there's a little send off to say we're officially done. He's never coming back. Um, he's gone to his home planet. Like, it's done. Yeah, they don't even really, they don't even really tell you. They just like, they just fade to black, and you're like, wait, is that the end of the episode? <laughs> yeah. And then they come back, and and she shows up to have a drink with Alicia, and you're like, so did he? like believe her and head for the border did she somehow did she take him out like what like what what happened they just they're just like yeah we're they just figured i guess when they figured they were going to end this story early 
they really did. Like they they even yeah. they just cut it and it's like no more. And to be clear, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't care what happened to. As I mentioned last week, they had such a great setup of this sort of what happened. You know why why was she on the run? What who was she hiding from? This whole thing, and for this to be what came from that is even more disappointing because it's not like this is just like a disappointing storyline. It's a disappointing storyline that's been being set up for three seasons. Yeah. And, you know, and so that's, that's where it really became, you're like such a huge misstep because they've been planting seeds that there was something. And then this is what they go with. You're just like, wow. Uh, And so, yeah, for it to be, you know, done, but, and, and it's not going to go into, uh, the, the the rest of the season we can look forward to when it comes back in January to uh, things going back to a little bit uh, uh, more normal. Yeah, fresh uh, start is is, uh, is is a good thing I think because that it was it was definitely a weird ending. But for the case, I think that's really they they do some interesting story things around whatever the case is. Uh, and, you know, they hit little points of, you know, like this week they were focusing on something do- in, you know, involving Eli uh, outside of uh, and, and a little bit of uh, Alicia's home life. That was in, all good. In in addition to Jackie's the case. getting some. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so those are all those are all interesting. You know, si- you know, the side stories are always interesting. But I think what really is interesting on these shows is the cases that they take and the things that they do, because the idea of. You've started down this path of, you know, trying to help your client by trying to help get another client off uh, or help prosecute another client. Uh, But then finding out that you were wrong, that the one you're trying to help put away is not actually the person and you're defending the actual person. But now you can't you can't just stop. (laughs) You can't just stop helping on the other case because then everybody will know that that something's wrong and then you're not giving, you know, your full defense, which is what you're supposed to do for your client. Uh, that's an interesting sort of conundrum you know, inside of, of, you know, where, how do you, where do you go? What do you do with something like that? It's a, uh, and for the idea that in two separate places that two people could get convicted of the same crime. And now they both have sort of, the ability to appeal based on somebody else who's been convicted of this crime. <laughs> Those are all interesting things uh, that they do within these uh, law cases that they take on. I agree. I'm interested to do, to see what's going to happen after the season. It, presumably if it comes back for a fifth season, because it seems like this season of out of, out of all four seasons is the weakest and that fans seem to be losing interest in it. I don't know if it's because it's on Sunday nights. And like I said, there's so many Sunday night shows competing with it, but, or, is it because Sunday Night Football on the East Coast, you know, it's bumped sometimes? I'm not really sure what all is at play, but it just seems like in comparison to other years, it's just not as buzzed about or people aren't as excited about this season. So I wonder if this is the end or the beginning of the end or. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think syndication will save it. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think for, the, yeah. for CBS, I mean, like they own the show. It's going if it's going to a fifth season, it will reach the 100 episode mark next year. I think for them to be able to then sell it back to a TNT or something similar, um, that that plays too well for them. I think it'll get another season. I think the ratings have been solid enough for that. But no, I think the Sunday night time slot. I also think, you know, it's not a groundbreaking show. It's a 
you know, your standard legal procedural that's very well acted. It's very old fashioned in that respect, which is part of why it's like the stuff that didn't work was the stuff that felt like they were trying to be too edgy. Whereas, you know, the storylines just kind of like bring edge in naturally based on character drama and legal stories has been much stronger. I think it tends to skew a bit older than your average kind of buzzed about show. But I think there's still plenty of potential there. I think it still has kind of room to grow. I think it can do well in the spring if the creative stuff kind of comes back. It'll be better when it's not up against Sunday Night Football. But ultimately, you start to kind of look at that and say this this fall was just a weak fall for the good wife. Yeah, I think uh, I think the. Yeah, the 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 main thing is when the buzz, the only buzz coming out about your program is this really terrible storyline. That's <laughs> it's it's like it it was overshadowing any ability to talk about the good stuff on the show. Really, is is sort of uh, is what the problem was. I think for for this first part of the season, but doing away with that storyline and then football season will be over. There'll be a little you know less competition. Uh, on the night uh, and things won't be uh, being bumped, you know, on the East Coast and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, you look at it, you compare it to, like you said, if the the, the most budget you're getting this season is how bad a show is compared to two, three years ago, you know, uh, when uh, Julianne was we- winning uh, Golden Globes and Emmys and, and um, Juliana Margulies. Um, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it just feels different in terms of how people are looking at it. Like you said, like Miles mentioned that the viewership is older, so they're not going to give up on a show like that. if They're not as fickle as say younger viewers can be, but at the same time, you know, you, you just wonder beyond the goal to get to the fifth season and to get to a hundred episodes, what, what, what are these, what are the producers and what are the writers thinking? Where are they, are they waiting for the spring to come back or are they going to mm. you know, pull out season four after all? Or, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just interesting. It's an interesting look at how shows can have seemingly so much promise and so much buzz in the beginning and then just sort of falter off by, you know, because of time or because of character development or whatever, um, or lack of development or time slots whatever so is, 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 is that a homeland segue yeah, <laughs> yeah. Given, given what i've been reading today not so much about it, but given what i've been reading today it seems like some people are reaching that point with homeland so maybe that's a transition point so thoughts on homeland who wants to jump in first makisha can jump in first oh yeah you want you want to lob that grenade at me <laughs> <laughs> hot potato that's the way this works it's a grenade no um i i uh i'm uh, yeah i'm scared you know what I mean? It's just one of those things that is the so first season was so good, and and you're and the whole this whole second season. As soon as Brody was just you know found out, it's just like I was just I've been scared, and they haven't really allayed those fears. I don't think, and I think that there's always that threat of it going into twenty four territory. And nothing, no offense to twenty four. I mean, it was good for what it was, but you don't want Homeland to become twenty four. And so, you, you know, it, it feels like some of the episodes this season, they've been like stalling and then it seems like they're drawing it out. And this whole like the Dana thing, I just, ugh, I, just I don't know. I, I'm scared. I'm so scared <laughs> the show is going to jump the shark and it's not going to be good. And I think it, it has been picked up for a third season, right? Oh, yeah. So where are they going to go? And oh, God. Well, and then, and to be, see, I think I think you're undervaluing anxiety. 
Like, I think anxiety is fun. Like, I really, I really think that they, they want us to live on the edge with this. And to be fair, I would agree that parts of it, like, as soon as I saw the Dana storyline, and this was like a couple of weeks before it aired, I was just like, oh, okay, here comes, this is, and I, I knew, I knew immediately that as soon as, like, the internet saw it, it was going to be the cougar moment. It was going to be that Kim Bauer in the second season of 24. Like, I knew people were going to bring it up. And sure enough, there it kind of came trotting out. And it's like, I think there's a difference between those two examples, which is one being something that's so ridiculous moving through. And the other something that just felt – the Dana storyline, a couple other things in the middle part of the season was just sort of like, okay, I saw what they were doing. They wanted to make a point about Dana experiencing the same sense of sort of secrecy and living in this lie and having to deal with that emotionally. So she is some level a microcosm of what her father has had to go through, of what Carrie has to go through, and the idea that this is not something that's simply a matter of spy business but rather sort of a lesson of life in politics and in and really anywhere where you're forced to live in this liminal space in between these different priorities and different competing factors of power. I buy that. It was just sketchy. Like I agree, like I'm a little scared. I'm like, oh, how are they going to manage this? And it didn't always work. Every now and then it kind of came back in and out. And it's like this week's episode I think was that breaking point where it's like I, I said on Twitter, like I could hear the ticking clock. Like it's like the twenty four clock. Every time a scene yeah. started ending, like I think they're gonna go split screen and go somewhere else. I'm like, seriously, that's what I'm. Like, that's what I'm like, like seriously, like and I, I felt that like in my bones, like oh, this feels so much like that. And I mean, like to be fair, I do think we are giving offense to twenty four. Like we say we're not, but we are. We are saying there was something about that show <laughs> that is inconsistent with what we viewed as this quality TV model in a serialized premium cable. Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I put it. I know what you mean, but I also would argue that 24 was good for what it was. It was what it was. We didn't expect it to be on the level of Homeland, the level I would argue Homeland reached in its first season. And now it seems to be going into sort of this absurdist territory that 24 lived in. And then when you when you watch a show like 24, you understand what you're getting. When you watch a show like Homeland, you expect a little bit more. And come on, Saul's just going to leave this this glasses down so this woman can step. You know, I mean, just it's, she kills herself with his glasses. With his glasses, it's, I mean, you know, I just it was so. It's it's just been too many twenty four like moments, and they 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 just seemed like they were. It seemed better than that in the first season. <laughs> it seemed like well, different well then that's sort of one of those things where it's like I think that we have sort of retroactively claimed that twenty four was this kind of pulpy you know, kind of absurd drama. But I mean, like, in its first season, it didn't rely on that in the same way. I mean, it might have had a huge amnesia storyline, but the way it treated that amnesia was more similar to how Homeland has treated some of its developments like that. It was not on the same level, I would tend to agree, but it was certainly in that same atmosphere and then sort of devolved as it went along because you could only do so much in that environment. I think Homeland's trending similarly. I think it just started out at a more... In a different moment where we've looked at cable shows a certain way and took to the first season in that sense. But, I mean, some people felt the end of the first season was too 24-like, that it was too convenient, that things got wrapped up in ways that they thought were inconsistent. They felt like it was a cheat to have Brody survive, that they felt he should have just blown himself up and that should have been that. And so I think there's been a lot of sort of that environment I felt was so strange to me that made perfect sense. It gave you this tension. But they inherited in the second season a really complicated scenario of how do you get Carrie back involved? How do you get Brody back involved? How do you blow this up while still sort of maintaining it? And to their credit, they didn't pussyfoot around it. 
Yeah. They didn't just say, oh, we're, you know, we're going to spend some time and gradually move some things in. They just sort of dove in and they've been treading – and to be fair, I mean like when I say treading water, I don't mean that in the sense that they're just kind of floating around. Like there's a bunch of obstacles they're avoiding. They could drown any moment, but they're keeping their heads above water with the great performances with some sharp writing here or there. But I agree with those. Like the plot is what's sort of trying to pull them down. The plot isn't where it was last season, where it felt like it was really driven a lot by the characters, yeah. kind of shadowy in the background. But to be fair, like the worst moment in season one for me that just completely threw me off was when Brody was revealed to be a terrorist. And like he all of a sudden like shows up in the ambassador's living room, and it's like he's been evil all along. And I'm like, what? Like it didn't it didn't match up with anything <laughs> I'd seen. And I thought they played that off. I think they worked with it, and I think they kind of found their way back to this place of being grounded and kind of focused. And this episode for me was that moment where it's just like, okay, whoa, like what are they kind of pulling out? What are they going for? There's a lot of kind of things happening. I thought it'll happen too quickly. I thought there was some like perhaps in logic that didn't sort of play out, but I was still really engaged. I found it really entertaining. I found it really affecting in the fact that I was with the characters in that moment. I didn't feel pulled out of it the way that I have with other shows that have done kind of fallen on similar times like 24, which lost me fairly quickly. And so it's like when I take that into account, it's like there's nothing stopping the show next week from pulling that back from the brink. Like I feel like they've never gone past that point of no return. And I mean like as much as – the jump the shark metaphor feels so it's jump the shark for me. I do think like I don't I don't I feel as though they're not even on the water skis. It's just like the tank is there, the shark's in the water, but they're still kind of just like circling around it, waiting for whatever is going to happen next. And I think for that reason, I maintain the same general opinion I have with the show. I haven't been like, oh, this is a terrible show now. It's just a matter of they have put a lot of pressure on themselves to pull this off. And if they don't, I fully intend to call them out on that. But if they pull it off, I think it's almost that much more impressive that they kind of looked the shark in the eye and kept going. Yeah, I think the the thing here is, is that, like you said, they, they've been a little bit you know, sort of treading water. But they've been treading water after a point of that came so so much earlier than you would have thought. Yeah. I really the the season felt like they were going to do a lot of water treading before uh you know pulling Brody in and creating this sort of double agent type thing. Like they got to that point so much quicker than you're like, "Okay, in episode 2, you're like you find <laughs> out that she's that she's right. You know, she finds out that she's right. So, okay. So now you're like, "Okay, there's going to be some you know, surveillance of him and they're going to, you know, try and figure out all what's going on. And then, you know, all of a sudden in episode five, they're, <laughs> they're across <laughs> the table from each other and they're, they're trying to turn him, uh, you know, to, to use him. Uh, and you're like, okay, so now they're going to, it's going, it's going to be this, we're way sooner than, uh, than you thought. And so that's where some of these, the Dana storylines and stuff like that started feeling weird because everything else had been like great but felt almost too fast but i think some of the you talking about being scared about what's going to happen i think that's a good thing in that you don't know that's what i love about this show is besides the great performances and like you said the the good writing and and all that stuff is that they're taking you along on this ride that you truly have no idea where it's going. You know, you you, you fully <laughs> expected that there was 
a high probability that he might blow himself up in that first season. That it was almost a surprise that he didn't. I mean, that is, that's interesting to me. Like, because you would really think it would be highly likely that he wouldn't do it because they wanted to do another season and use his character. Uh, But yet, the way they've sped through a lot of things this year, you're like, okay, how could they possibly, you know, they have to, you know, how could they possibly use his character in a third season? I don't but, think they can. You know, and, no, I don't and, think they can either. And I don't, I don't think, it, I don't really think they can. But I'm interested to see like where, where they do go in the next two episodes. That I, I don't know where they're going. Uh, I don't know how these things are going to work out. I don't know, you know, how what Carrie is going to do when she finds out that the, you know. The vice president's dead, but and she knows what sort of was happening there. Uh, these are all I. I don't know. I don't even have like <laughs> even a small idea, <laughs> because every time that I have had an idea of where it's going, it doesn't go there, or it gets yeah. there way sooner than I thought it ever would. And I mean, I for me, I can't, especially with the amount of TV that I watch. That's. I think that's outstanding when a show can do that. Yeah, I mean, in that regard, I do, I do like that. But I think uh, also on, on a smaller scale, on an emotional level, what I liked prior to uh, episode six or seven, uh, when Dana finds out that politics are politics, um, that I liked the relationship between her and Brody. I like, I like that on some, like I said, smaller, more cellular level, that this was a show about you know, daughters and fathers that, you know, Carrie and her father share mental illness that Brody and Dana have secrets that, you know, and, it, and I feel like that's gone. And and if Brody dies and it doesn't matter, but, um, you know, I liked that part about uh, season one and then part of season two and that it feels like you, that's gone now. But that, that one little thread of... of no, just what made what made Brody more interesting, what made the show more interesting, what made his relationship with Dana more fascinating is that, you know, that bond they had. And, it's, you know, I don't know. It, it's just too bad. It, I know, like you said, it's, it keeps you on your toes. You don't know if they, you, they think they're going to zig left, you know, they zig right or whatever. And that's cool. But I think it, it does come sometimes with the at the expense of other things. And that was one of the things I think that has been lost, unfortunately, in season two. Well, I think the Dana storyline is part of little things in it. I mean, sort of the big thing, it felt a little tacked on or like they needed something big to, you know, to do over here uh, to, you know, to, to draw your attention because they can't focus on the main two characters like the whole time, Uh, you know, so they, they needed something else. Especially because Claire Danes is pregnant. I don't (laughs) think anybody should out, you know, count that out, that that's some of what you're getting. (laughs) Like, oh shoot, she's pregnant. We can't put her in this. You know what I mean? But I think even yeah. But I think even within that storyline, some of the things that like bug me is like when he calls and they're at the safe house and she won't talk to him. She's like still mad at him. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like that, I was like, I get being mad before, but if you've your family has now been yanked out of your house to a safe house, you should be able to comprehend that maybe your dad not you know. Really couldn't, you know, have taken you into the police station right then. That there's something big happening. Uh, it, it was those types of story moments that, like, she's still upset at her father and stuff like that. That 
within a storyline that felt weird to begin with, they had these other moments that that uh, that didn't that you know that didn't really work. And uh, I I don't know I, but for the most part, you know, I I still think you know, I can't wait for next week's episode to find out what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly am still in the sort of a I'm 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 willing to be patient, but I mean like there's only two episodes left, so like it's not as though we're going to be waiting all this time for something to happen. Something is going to happen. We're going to either accept it or reject it. I've seen a lot of theories flying around. I'm like I'm not so much with theories. Like I'm willing to judge it on the merits of what they put forward. I still find the show really entertaining this season. I think it will just kind of the season's overall effect. I think will be determined by the last two episodes, which is it's a dangerous game to play. Like going back to the metaphor, because I love metaphors. Um, you know, they chose to tread water in the deep end for a lot longer than most shows would, and now it's kind of a matter of can they pull that off? Yeah, and now now it's definitely sink or swim time. Yeah, right. Exactly. And of course, like like you said, of course I'm going to watch. I'm going <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> play that, but. It, it, it is with a little more disappointment than I hoped <laughs> watching these episodes because now you're just like, now you feel like they owe you something. Like, I put my, it's like the killing in the first season. You're like, I put, I invested in you. You owe me. You owe me yeah. a better story. That's fair. So it's tough. It's, it, is a, it is a high wire act to, to continue on other, another metaphor in a different direction. But it, I mean, if it pays off, then, then there's no reason to be mad at them. And if it doesn't pay off, then I'm, I will be mad. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, on to the last show on our list, uh, The Walking Dead, uh, Season 3, Episode 8, uh, Made to Suffer, which is kind of a – it's a mid-season finale given that it doesn't really – it doesn't come back till February. So there's a little bit longer time frame than some of the other uh, fall shows. Uh, but similar to last year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, – I'm going to jump in here on. Yeah, I, 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 I got nothing. I know it's about zombies and humans, and I'm good from there. Governor, there's a governor, right? Yeah, I'm going to jump in yeah, here do on. I don't do zombies. For the most part, I've I've really enjoyed the season. They've definitely ramped things up from the previous season. Uh, you know, there's there's more there's more zombies. There's more there's more danger uh, being felt in every episode this season as opposed to uh, you know last season. I have a huge problem with shows that where a storyline elements revolve around somebody just not mentioning something to somebody else. What? And, and this this whole thing about Mich- with Michonne, there seems there seems to be this like she held back a lot of information about the situation they were getting into, other than that their people were there. They seem to have no idea that her that Daryl's brother was there, which I can kind of see her holding back that because of her dealings with Merle that she may not. But she doesn't to... know that that's Daryl's brother. She didn't know. She did. She heard the whole conversation at the at the place that he wanted his his brother, and she had she had asked. Oh, previous... you mean the market in the town? At, when they first got, she was there when Aunt, when Merle asked Andrea about her brother, about his brother, and then she sees. You know, uh, him take these two people, and he had she heads to uh, back to the prison and gets the other group to you know says you know this town's got you know has taken your two people, but there seems to be I can see her maybe holding back because of her dealings with Merle that she may not want to find out if his brother is really you know s- sort of the same, 
Uh, oh, yeah. And so I can see maybe holding that information back. But the idea that they have no idea that Andrea is there is completely ridiculous to me. Uh, the whole idea that when she comes face to face with Andrea after, you know, fighting with the governor, that there's no conversation that takes place. They just sort of <laughs> stare each other down and then she leaves. The idea that she doesn't say, this dude's crazy. We showed up here because he was holding people from that you know. And there's no way that she doesn't know that, that, that she hasn't heard about the people that she was, you know, that she was with in the eight months that they were together uh, before they ended up at Wordberry. That she doesn't tell her, the reason that I did this was because, <laughs> you know, this dude's crazy and he was holding, you know, uh, you know, Maggie and, and, uh, Glenn that, you know, and, uh, and that, you know, the, the, that that's why, you know, that, that, that that's who's here. And so it's also that you can get like this reaction shot at the end when Daryl is unhooded next to his brother and, and Andrea's like, wait, that's who was attacking. And you're just like, come on, that's ridiculous because Andrea would have had a, to have a completely different response to uh, the the governor than letting him or mentioning that one of the heads that she saw in the, the fish tanks full of heads was the national guard guy that they had, that they had been picked up and taken to the town at the same time with, you know, she recognized the, the head and the, and the thing. And so when story plays out because people don't talk, I have a huge problem <laughs> when when somebody should have unloaded a whole lot of information. I understand that Michonne's sort of a quiet person, but <laughs> but that they would just stare each other down with a you know sword to gun, and then she would leave to let, and then the governor has the ability to sort of explain some of it away uh, of why he has fish tanks full of heads and uh, his his zombie daughter trapped it you know in a in a cage. Uh, these are... He didn't explain. He didn't explain the zombie daughter though. That's, I love that part of it because when she goes and Penny, and then the other people came in, so they keep they're messing yeah. with you know, they're messing with the viewer in that regard yeah, because there's so much information being held back. And I understand your frustration, but it didn't bother me. That didn't that didn't bother me because I thought honestly, I kept <laughs> I watched it and then I watched it again with my husband, and I said, why is Michelle waiting for the governor? Like I don't understand her vengeance. He did. Is she mad because she he he sent Merle after her? Like I didn't. I, I think I mean, that's it. Is because that? you know she left, but then they sent people after her. So I think that's her. Yeah. So that was why. Okay. I think that's why she wanted to come back because you know to basically to get him. Uh, that's why she was she was waiting. But there's I <laughs> there's got to be a little conversation. I mean, there was even less com. You know, the, it sort of fit in with the way that they've been playing the character, but I've had this problem before earlier. It's like uh, she didn't trust Andrea enough to say, hey, I found a lot of bullet holes in blood. <laughs> and I think that they they did, you know, that uh, that they may no, not, think- you, know, you know, stuff like that. She never really gave a full accounting of why she thought they should leave. 
uh, you know, type of thing. She, but from what Andrea said, she never even told her who those two zombies were who were with her. So I think that that was established that, like you said, she's just not a talker. Yeah. But, <laughs> but at but, some point, when you've just attacked this thing, and you're, like, you're facing each other down, and you're just like, this is the time where you let out a couple of pieces of information. But I know, because that made, you know what, Jason? No, I like that scene. I like that scene because... I thought this is great because she was so shocked that Lori had, I mean, Lori, that Andrea, the actress's name is Lori Holden. Andrea had a gun on her. I mean, they were besties. Okay. And then some sites have suggested more, but you know, for her to come and say, what have you done? And she's like, what? You know, like I'm doing the right thing. That's when you say, that's when you answer what you've done. I would, and you might, but you, and I'm, you sound like you would too, but that's not Michelle's thing, man. She just, you know, I mean, she has her sword. And it was so funny. It's so funny. My husband goes, why do people keep taking her sword? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but you know, it's because she's a, she's a badass with that sword, man. You don't know if she's going to swing it on you, but I felt like that scene was really good because, or I really enjoy that scene because it for a character who's very laconic and like you said is not a woman of word a lot of words it told a lot about her. I thought it was really fascinating that she was like initially concerned about a little girl. Don't you think that was interesting? Like that was a really crazy like this 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 cold-blooded woman who was like killing people and coming to get you know to exact her revenge is suddenly concerned with a little girl who she thinks is like been held you know captive. Do you think that's fascinating? No, just no, me. No, I, I thought I thought that was interesting, but I think in the when the world that you live in, that you always take the hood off first <laughs> <laughs> before you before you take somebody that's been chained up. You know, even if they look like a little girl, I think in the in, in the world that you live in now, I think you never unchain anybody until you get a good look at them. But I think that that, but to me, that says a lot about the fun thing that they're doing that that. It plays with your mind, but it also never, you never are allowed to forget that these people were regular people, you know, like that that's a natural human instinct and that she has that instinct to say, oh, are you okay, little girl? And it's like, ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> little well, I, yeah, I think, oh. that, I, I think that's an interesting, yeah, I think it's an interesting character moment for, for that character. Uh, I think a lot of what happens in the episode is, is good and, and, you know, and interesting. And I think it, you know. It leaves you in an, a very interesting place. Like, what's going to, what's going to happen? How are they going to, you know, get out of this? Uh, I just had the little problem of how they got into it in the first place. You know, <laughs> uh, you mean because they just walked into a war? Like they just waged well, war? No, not necessarily knowing. that they just walked into that, but that, uh, just it was all, just that that setup was so that you could get a you know this reaction shot from Andrea where all of a sudden things start possibly to click in for her a little bit of, <laughs> of, of what's been going on without anybody have ever seen anything to her. Well, you know, her, like, well honestly, though, in that regard, her, her lack of intuition is really pissing me off. Well, her character has been annoying. <laughs> yeah. Because like all of a sudden she got to a little bit of safety and she like reverted back to, even though she kept saying, well, let me have a gun. I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a badass. except everything that you've done since you've gotten to Woodbury is not very badass. Except stab a cancer guy in the head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing is like, but it seemed like with her character, they, they don't know 
how smart to make her, how dumb to make her, how instinctive to make her, how naive to make her. Like, you know, on one hand, like you say, she's like, she's this great Marx woman. I don't know if you would call her Marx, but she's great with a gun. And then suddenly the guy who knows she's great with a gun is like, no, you can go do some house calls and make sure everybody <laughs> has some cold ice and drinks. Like, like what? So, I mean, and then she was like, that's crazy, but okay. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just so done. And then she comes in immediately. She goes, what have you done? Like, this is your girl from eight, like eight <laughs> months. Like you guys were like best friends. And you, you know what I mean? So I don't know, maybe it's the man thing. I don't know. I didn't, she wanted a man and like she got her man and now she's in standby her manners. I don't know what that's about. Interesting because she was seemingly the most, one of the most, until Michonne came on the show, liberated characters in terms of not falling into gender traps and roles and stereotypes. And now she seems to be so <laughs> stupid. Yeah, kind of grew over the first two seasons and then... Now and she's then, devolving into and, this And then got sick like, and regressed here in, right. in Woodbury. Right, is my boyfriend. Like, I <laughs> you know, like, what? So um, that's why Michelle had that look, because it was the same look fans had. Like, what's wrong with Andrea? Why is she? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, definitely a better season overall than so far than, you know, than last season. But uh, still, every once in a while, there's when there's things like that that just pull me out, of of what's going on, where well, and right, and then any time where right. just one character could just say one th- one little thing and it changes everything <laughs> else that would happen after that, uh, but yet they don't say anything. I I have a huge problem with that in TV shows. Well, maybe she was so blinded by rage because Rick goes, "Did you get what you came for?" And she looks, you know, like. All right, I think that's enough of. Uh, of the Walking Dead, and uh, that'll. Miles uh, is asleep. Wake that, him up. That, that, I, I'm not asleep. I am not asleep. I am. I am not a zombie. I, I'm still. I'm still present. Uh, but yeah. So, uh, yeah, anybody out there listening, uh, let us know what did you think of uh, of the Walking Dead mid season finale. You know, uh, leave us a leave us a comment or send us an email. You can always send emails to feedback at uh, tvtimes three dot com and uh, let us know what you think. And uh, lastly, we'll jump into uh, the TV on DVD picks uh, for uh, Tuesday, uh, December 11th. And uh, I don't really have anything this week, uh, but uh, Makisha and Miles both wanted to uh, say something about uh, I'm gonna say the HBO show Girls. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is, that is precisely what we wanted to talk about. Um, is um, no, I mean I think the the t- trailer for season two just came out recently. Um, I find this one of the shows that happened so early in the year. I think part of me kind of, it slipped from memory, but I still think it was a really well-structured, really interesting, um, really well-acted, incredibly well-written. I think it's really sharp. It had some issues. I think it had to grow on you a little bit. I understood the backlash. I understood some of what was happening, but I always sort of stood by the kind of what the show was trying to accomplish. I think it was really well done. I enjoyed it a lot. I think that it's something that people, if they didn't get a chance to watch on HBO could discover well on DVD and Blu-ray. I think it would play well in that format. And if you watch a few episodes initially, you get a sense for the fact that you're not supposed to like these people. Like that's not what's happening here. They're not immediately going to be like, Oh, such lovable characters. You should judge them for a lot of what happens. I think once that becomes clear in the first few episodes, I think the rest really fits into place as really interesting and valuable case study that I'm excited to see happen in season two as well. Yeah, I'm with you, Miles. And the thing that's so funny about it is that I was really excited when the DVD arrived 
because I have been told by countless people that now I need to give the show a chance because I really did not like the characters. I saw the first three episodes during last year's winter tour or this year's winter tour is going to be a winter tour is coming up. So I wanted to make sure I clarify that 2012 winter tour. And that's when we got the, the, the pilot in the first, you know, or three episodes, including the pilot. And I hated it. it. I hated it. I hated <laughs> the show. I was like, am I watching the same show to everybody? Cause, because it was one of those things that literally at the tour, there were two things we were talking about, Downton Abbey and girls. And um, Downton Abbey, I got. I got it. I understood why people loved it. I didn't understand. When I finally watched girls and I watched the first three episodes, I didn't get it. And I was like, am I watching a different show than everybody else? And so... Now that I have the DVD, I feel good about like, trying to give it a second chance. And if I still hate it, I'm not going to try to explain myself. But I will uh, <laughs> I will give it a chance. Just like I did with Scandal, it was the same thing as people were like, I couldn't get past the pilot. And people were like, well, you have to because it gets much better. I always liked when shows are in a position to, at least in my eyes, get better and redeem themselves and change the way I look at it. And I've felt that way about certain shows. Friday Night Lights was one of those shows that for me that initially I was like, what is everybody going on about? God. And then I watched it and was like, oh, wow, this is really good. So it it happens. It can happen. Critics can change their minds. And I'm excited about that. But at the same time, I'm hoping that, you know, um, that I won't be further disappointed and that that I'm wrong. I I hope to be wrong. I hope people are right. And it's a good show. Yeah, I mean, like, I, what, I, what I will say about girls in that respect um, is when I watched the first three episodes, I remember I watched them for the first time and was kind of like, okay, I see both sides. Like, I saw the frustration, I saw the praise, I saw, and it just kind of wasn't gelling. And then I had a bit of time on my hands. It was early in the year, and like, I just rewatched them. And it was amazing going back through them, even revisiting those first episodes after having seen the third. I felt like there was some really good communication happening. That what I saw from characters was being paid off, not as in, oh, like a mystery gets solved, but rather like a character detail shifts ever so slightly. We see something move through. We see characters really kind of change their perspective, go through something, become more introspective. The show kind of puts its focus on them in interesting ways. Like I I felt that a lot of that worked extremely well going back through it. So it'll be interesting to see how you go back to the first few episodes with some distance, with more discourse around it even than there was at the time to see like how those play. And again, it's a show like I think when people go back to rediscover it, there's going to be a lot of really interesting discourse around that of people who go back and watch it now having not seen it. Can you separate yourself from the hype? From which I mean, it's not like it's that successful viewer-wise, but in terms of critics' hype, certainly. And I'll be interested to see how it gets placed within that, and how season two does, and how it's received. I think it's a really interesting show, and we need those. Yeah, I think some of the on the the, the sort of the hate side of the show, uh, I think some of that came out of is there was a flaw in the marketing of the show, and so when you heard about what the show was going to be or you saw some of the you know any of the trailers or something like that it seemed like it was going to be not what it was when you watched it <laughs> like it, it was it was a completely it was it gave you something completely different and so i think some of it is a little bit of a backlash from an expectation that was created that didn't need to be created uh and and so a disappointment came uh and i think for people that that grew to like the show that didn't like it in the beginning. I think some of that is, is like you said, is you accepted what the show was and you, you, you learned more what the show was and were able to take that into subsequent episodes. And, uh, and then 
But then on the other side, there were the people that loved it from the beginning and thought it was like the best thing since sliced bread. And, you know, and so there was there it was definitely an interesting show uh, to to come out. It it it, it didn't seem to have a, a, it, a lot of people in the middle going, eh, it was OK. It definitely no, seemed, it, it, no, it, it definitely seemed it. There was you. You were you either like loved it or hated it, and there was not much uh, shades of gray in between. It was it was definitely uh, a lot of polarization on that one. But that was the thing. I think that was you. You almost feel you do feel polarized because people were so the people who loved it immediately were like so in love with it and so like vocal about it. And there were so many of them that you're like, how is this? Like, like I said, I'm actually looking forward to watching the whole thing, like Miles said, and watching it straight through instead of just having the first three, really watching it and then like coming out of it and saying whether I like it or not. But like, but that, but that is part of the problem that if people are so in love with a show and then you watch it and you're like, did they get the same three episodes? Maybe yeah. they saw something. Yeah. Well, I think that was the thing for me is like, it, you know, maybe based on what Miles saying is I'll, I'll go back and actually watch. Cause I don't think I watched past like the second episode. Uh, for me, I didn't get uh, the, the episodes early. So when I went to watch the episodes, I was already hearing this is the greatest show, but I had also seen the marketing of the show. And so when I, I went into the show with, one expectation and also hearing that it was the greatest thing ever. And then it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And it made it seem extra terrible. I was like, that, that's exactly how I looked at it. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly how I looked at it. Cause I was yeah. like, what is this? Why are people acting like she's like the second coming? Why is this isn't fun? These girls are brats. Like I just each with each episode by the third episode, I didn't hate them as much as I did in the first two, but I thought, why would anybody want to watch this? I don't like them. Is that possible? Like, can you watch a show where you don't like the characters? I just, it was like, I couldn't wrap my brain around. People are like, you didn't like her? I'm like, no. <laughs> she was like horribly self-entitled. Like she had a, to- you know, total, just, I just couldn't get it. I didn't get it. People were like, well, that's how 20-somethings are. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what 20-somethings you know, but <laughs> would, again, I wouldn't be friends with this woman. I wouldn't even talk to her beyond five minutes. But uh, I'll give it a shot. I'm going to try again to 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 see what others have seen, <laughs> and I'm going to watch the entire season, and then I'll get back to you, Jason, and let you know. What I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to it. And you can tell Miles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That'll. Uh, I think that'll about. Uh, that'll about wrap up. Uh, as as before, you can uh, you know you can even let us know what you think about <laughs> about girls. <laughs> what you uh, you can the HBO you know, series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not yeah, no dissertations on uh, girls in general. <laughs> the TV show, yes, be be specific. Uh, but uh, you can uh, as as I said before, you can find uh, us at tvtimes three dot com slash one sixty one. You can tell us what you thought about uh, the episode. Uh, what you thought about the uh, the opinions of the guests this week, which I'd like to thank both uh, Makisha and Miles for uh, joining me. And I uh, wanted to quickly uh, mention um, it's the uh, holiday season. So if you want to help the podcast out and do some uh, holiday shopping at Amazon, you could go to tvtimes3.com slash Amazon, and uh, that'll take you right to Amazon. That is an affiliate link. We get a small percentage of anything uh, you happen to buy there, and you get the same deal as if you would have went to Amazon directly. Uh, and, uh, with that, 
the opening and closing music is provided by IODA Promonet. The song is TV Party by the Asylum Street Bankers from their Mercurial title, put out by Yellow Dog Records. And that'll do it. Thanks, Jason. That was fun. Thanks, Miles. No, thanks, Bakisha. We sit glued to the TV set all night. And every night. Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright. We got nothing better to do. Watch TV and have a couple of...